Let's bring him in now. Former Jacksonville Jaguars running back, the one, the only, Fred Taylor. Fred, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing great. Uh, I like the one, the only. It's a good introduction. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get down to it. I mean, you look at the Jaguars. They were a few plays away from going to the Super Bowl. Ultimately, they lost to the Pats, the Patriots, in the AFC Championship game. They had a championship-caliber defense. They have a championship-caliber defense. But I have some questions about the quarterback. But in your mind, is this a Super Bowl-caliber team? Uh, without a doubt. I think they were, um, they were about 15 minutes away from uh, playing in the Super Bowl a year ago. And I think, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a good argument. You know, if you go back and watch the game, play for play, they could have easily gone up, uh, what is it, 24 to 10. I think the Miles Jack play should have been irreversible and, right. and not blown dead. And I think the P.I. on Jalen Ramsey was a, was a bad call as well. So, I mean, they did enough to get in the game. Unfortunately, they, they didn't. But I thought they played well enough to, you know, uh, earn a Super Bowl. But this is a new season, so going forward, you know, I, I think what they have on their side is consistency. Consistency in the coaching staff, consistency in the um, – with the players. You know, they returned a lot of guys. Uh, all of the guys on from defense from a year ago are returning other than uh, Pazlozny. Uh, but they got a young Miles Jack who's, you know, ready for the task. So, you know, I think they're capable. And I think they'll get out there and show a lot of people what they're made of. Were they the better team? Did you think that the Jaguars were better than the Patriots last year? Last year, yeah, I would think so. I would think so. You know, and the Patriots, uh, you know, and I went up there having formerly played there. Uh, I, I think that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, Fred, there's a uh, uh, no-lose situation for you here. You know, but naturally, New England was a great organization. And uh, I enjoyed every minute of it. I enjoyed Tom Brady. He's amazing. Coach Bill Belichick, you know, he's everything the people don't think of him. So he's great. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know, at that particular point in time, I was all jagged. I, I looked at everything. I thought <laughs> the Jaguars defense matched up great. Uh, they were banged up, you know, so that helped. You know, and losing uh, Rob Gronkowski, even more, I thought they really had a chance, uh, you know, as the game was unfolding, to be able to do some things to pull away. But unfortunately, the thing that makes Coach Belichick great, as well as Tom Brady, is they practice for situations. You know, the Atlanta Super Bowl, you know, they practice, I'm pretty sure, from the sense of what is Atlanta good at? They were blowing people out by 20 points every game they won. All right, so let's do a little bit of, you know, just in case we're down by 20. A lot of coaches don't coach that way. And in this situation, they were, they were prepared and they came out, you know, um, with the win that day. For sure. So you recently, I saw on your Twitter page, you reached out to star corner Jalen Ramsey, who was suspended for a week for criticizing the reporter on social media. How did that go? How did that conversation go between you and Ramsey? You know, it was, it was uh, I was talking to his camp. You know, okay. so it was his people that I spoke to. So the information came from his people, not necessarily Jalen. Uh, but, you know, I've spoken to Jalen in the past. You know, he's, he's a kid that's 
you know, he he keeps it one thousand. You know how they say keep it one hundred. <laughs> he, he doesn't hold any punches. I mean, he, he's a good kid. I mean, a good young man. I don't want to call him a kid. He's a great young man, you know, and he's very passionate on and off the field. And he's not going to, you know, he's not going to bite his tongue. You know, they tell you, just be yourself. And then in a sentence, they tell you, no, nah, you can't say this or you can't say that. And it, it, he, there's no filter with Jason. I mean, uh, Jalen, I'm sorry. He, he just goes out there and he talks and, if it was one thing where he wasn't backing it up, I would get it. But he goes out there and to this day, he's backed it up. So until he says, says something that's out of pocket and there's no, um, you know, there's no backing it up, then if I were the coach, I, I, talk, I would honestly talk to him if I were the coach because there's one thing, the distraction. But if the team behind him and they're going and everybody's focused, keep it up, man. That might be his way of – you know, getting under the other team's skin and, and bringing out the best in him. Like you said, he likes to keep it a thousand. Um, so recently, he had an article out there where he, he talked about a lot of players, criticized some. I mean, he was honest. He, he, he kept it a thousand, as you just said. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're balling out, like you said, it's all good. But the moment that you have some slippage, it can be a bit of a problem. As a whole, do you have a problem, or do you think it could be a problem, Ramsey speaking out the way he does? You know, he um, everyone's opinionated, right? And it was his opinion. You know, whether what other people think of it or not. And, I mean, this is the reason we live in this beautiful country, this beautiful patriotic country known as America. And, you know, it's, it's his words, his opinion, he put it out there. He just got to go play. You know, even when I was in college, I said something about Tennessee balls, and I said, they can never beat us. They'll never beat us. That was in the Peyton Manning days and all that stuff, and, and they never beat us. And Coach Perry told me, well, Freddie, uh, you put it out there, now you just got to go play. Usually I wouldn't like players to talk, but uh, now you, it's on you. You got to go play. And, you know, that's that's what these guys got to do. You, 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 you walk it. I mean, you talk it. You better be able to walk it and back it up. I don't think it's a problem overall, players, and bringing their own type of attention to the team. And right now, the timing of the GQ article was perfect because of the incident that happened in practice. So it seems that he's just a, you know, a, 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 a sour grape. He's a guy that's just going to talk, 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 talk. Uh, but Jason's a great person. We're talking to former Jaguars running back Fred Taylor. So – Fred, Leonard Fournette, I mean, you know running backs, and Fournette had a very good rookie season. Moving forward, what should we expect out of Fournette? You know, Leonard went, went away this offseason because he wanted to have a few more, well, more long runs, not a few more, but more long runs, as well as uh, being able to have the ability to make people miss an open field. So he came back to camp about 10 pounds lighter. He looked quicker. His strength is still there. He seems to be healthy. You know, I don't see any effects of the, the ankle lingering that was there a year ago. Uh, I expect him, as long as he can stay healthy, with that type of defense and the mentality that Coach Marone has, as well as you know, Coach Coughlin from the inside, uh, who's, co you know, sort of coaching behind the scenes, if you may. Um, I expect Leonard to have a really, well, a really good season if he goes out there and just if – he's, if he's able to stay healthy – 
if the defense is opportunistic, getting the offense the ball, taking some pressure off of Blake Bortles, I would think it would go through Leonard and he should be able to produce 1,400 yards better. Do you think Blake Bortles is good enough to win a Super Bowl? I, w- I would say yes to that. Well, I would definitely say yeah to that. And the thing is, all of, there's over the history of the game, you know, there's one thing, there's coaches and their philosophies and their systems and being able to connect with their players. Who knows how great Tom Brady would be if he were in a different system with a different coach. No one knows the answer to that. You know, and there have been instances where guys have gone with certain coaches and they do great, and guys are in other systems and they don't do so well. In the case of uh, Blake Bortles, you know, they have a great defense. You know, they have some young receivers who came around and played well last year. You know, Blake didn't feel any pressure to throw to those guys as, you know, one guy having to be the target as would he, you know, when he had uh, Allen Robinson and Allen Hearns. And when you have a veteran guy that you're used to, you tend to get one-sided. But with the young guys, he's sort of distributing the ball around, throwing it to his running back. So based on that assessment and being around the organization, the type of coaching staff, the defense, and the fact that Blake, he's, you know, going to year five, he's smarter, he's handling the ball better, I think they can make another Super Bowl run. Well, a Super Bowl run. Okay. So let's go to you now. I mean, you had a great career, over 11,000 yards rushing, 17th all-time on the rushing list. I mean, we look at the guys who are in the Hall of Fame. Everybody above you is in the Hall, except for Edwin James and two current players, Frank Gore and Adrian Peterson. So we saw you last year on Twitter. I mean, you you were tweeting out, and, and you felt basically that you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. The question is why? Well, if you look at everything, you know, wholesomely, I guess, if you will, um, just start with the Jaguars Foundation in the market. And, uh, you know, a lot of times it, it, I was just buried in that region. Uh, well, the team was buried in that region. We didn't get a lot of the love that we deserved overall. Um, so I came into basically what was a expansion team, two-year removed, and – you know, you know, my rookie year, you know, there's a good argument, and even Randy Moss said it. Uh, there's some YouTube, I believe it was your, your – uh, I don't know if it was your show. I'm not sure. But uh, Randy Moss and Ray Lewis, they, yeah, okay, so they felt uh, that uh, I should be in the Hall of Fame. All right, two Hall of Famers, and there are a lot of other guys out there. But what Randy said was, you know, Fred Taylor probably should have got rookie of the year that year in 1998. I mean, it had 1,300 yards rushing, you know, another almost 50 receptions, uh, about uh, five or six, about four or 500 yards receiving. And then and I had the touchdown, 17 touchdowns uh, as a rookie. I don't know the last time a rookie did that, you know. Um, and on top of that, just throughout my career, I think I've had seven, seven seasons of 1,000 yards or more. I have over 2,500 carries, 2,700 carries, average 4.6 yards to carry over a 13-year career, you know, just uh, under 12,000 yards. I, you know, really my, my, my career really is about nine years if you take the 63 games that I missed into account. 
unfortunately. Um, my first five years before the uh, realignment in the division, we had the, the defense that I, that I faced versus other backs that were making, you know, Pro Bowl and AFC. You know, I was facing the Titans twice a year. They were great. Um, Steelers, their defense was great. Uh, as well as the Ravens, they've always been great. And I was in that division running against those three defenses, still churning out 1,000-yard seasons or more you know, against those guys. <clears throat> Excuse me. When we look at the Steelers' defense, there are going to be several guys that go Hall of Fame from those defenses. Uh, the Ravens as well. Um, and, and it's just one of those things, Paul. I, I just think, uh, you know, I'm not begging. The voters will vote. They'll look at everything and break things down. Look at the defense matchups in my time, in my era. You know, and somebody will really dig deep and find that, man, these numbers are, you know, they're pretty impressive under the circumstances. But, again, if you just put in the, the lack of marketability, the expansion team, uh, and a lot of other things that, you know, some other guys, they play with Hall of Famers. They're gonna, their, their team consisted of several Hall of Famers on, on their particular side of the ball. So I think I, I am deserving, much like those guys too. I just want the numbers to be weighed accordingly. Yeah, it was uh, Ray Lewis and Randy Moss said, you know, they think you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I was actually at the Hall of Fame when they said that. Right. So they, uh, right. you know, definitely gave you some credit. And, and they well, believe. Well, again, there there have been, um, uh, and excuse me for interrupting. There there have been, you know, Jim Brown. You know, he said some great – he had some great things to say about me in terms of being his favorite running back, uh, Marcus Allen, uh, as well as, you know, Emmett Smith, uh, defenders that I had to go up against, uh, Derrick Brooks, Warren Sapp, Ray – you know, Ray was one of them. Troy Palmalu, he'll be one. Uh, you know what I mean? But the list is on and on and on. And it's just a matter of leaving it on the field, the way guys play the game, you know, the character, the – you know, uh, what they meant to the team in, turn of, in terms of uh, percentages of production, you know, for, for the team, the amount of plays that the team depended on them. Yeah, I mean, just all that stuff. Then it comes down to I think I'm deserving of it. But, again, the voters, they have the last say. And we'll just sit back, you know, whether it's two, three, five, ten years. I pray it's not ten, but who knows? I don't know. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, but whatever it is, it's up to the voters. So we'll we'll just see how it goes. But I'm let me have a case. I'm sorry for interrupting. But let me ask you this. If it's, say, 10 years from now, 10, 15 years from now, we saw what happened with T.O., he decided to skip the whole thing. Would you be inclined to do something like that if it goes pretty long? No, I'm, that's the furthest thing from my mind. Look, I, I don't – T.O. is his own man. It was his decision to do as he did, you know, and whatever made him feel happy, um, you know, and honoring his moment. I do get that uh, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a fraternity of the greatest, and I've also heard that there's nothing else, you know, in the world like it. Obviously, there's no higher achievement in our sport or in any sport for that matter. Um, but, you know, T.O., he felt that this was his way, that he wanted to handle it. You know, well, I mean, did you expect anything different? T.O.'s always been a guy who's done things, you know, on his watch the way he's wanted to do them. 
and they hadn't always been on the right side of the line. Right. So he's always been a bit rebellious, even as a player. Uh, you know, I, I, I like Terrell as a as a person. We've never had any ill will. You know, we've been able to look each other in the eye and have conversations. Um, but he does things the way he wants to do it, and, and you have to – he's a man. I can't say anything else about it. Uh, I mean, but to, for, as far as Fred Taylor is concerned, Paul, you know, no. I wouldn't, I wouldn't okay. approach it like that, and no matter, you know, the time frame. Um, I, I respect that decisions have to be made. You know, sometimes I look at it and say, I don't agree with this. You know, I don't think this guy was better. I don't think this guy had a better year. I think this guy came into a great situation. Offensive line, whatever it may be, I can break it all down. But, you know, I, I, my decision won't be, you know, what Terrell's was. I'll be yeah, excited I, to get Because it's a dream. You know, guys dreaming of speaking Canton. You can't separate Canton from the NFL Hall of Fame and vice versa. You cannot separate the two. If they moved it somewhere else, it just wouldn't be right. So that's where I felt like it should be handled. Yeah, and I was, and to your point, you know, talking about Canton, being in Canton for the Hall of Fame ceremony and everything, it, it, it's not, it's nothing like it. I mean, and I couldn't imagine, you know, if you're a Hall of Famer, that has to be like the greatest moment and the greatest time being there, almost basically in football heaven. I mean, you also have to look at it. What? There's only like a hundred and some odd. Uh, living Hall of Famers. I mean, so correct. That, that's amazing. No, I'm with, that that is truly amazing. And again, it's it's a matter of each person. You know, it's that's their decision. But going back to it all, you know, when you're young and you you understand what the Hall of Fame is and what it means, you know, and the closer if you have a shot and you do the research and you know you get to know the guys and you know understand the feeling that they've gone through. You know, Derek Brooks invited me to his uh, and his enshrinement, his induction. So just being around Derek and just seeing it all, Warren Tap, same thing. So it's it's one of those things that it's no better feeling. It feels better than signing that autograph. I mean, signing that contract. Then you know, signing your football scholarship. There's no better feeling, according to those guys, and to see them rejoice in that moment. You have to be prepared for it and, you know, be able to embrace it and just say, man, I, I made it. Not until then, you know, you, you don't ever, and I tell young guys this all the time, don't look at your career once you get to the league and sign the contract and say, I made it. You shouldn't have that feeling or you shouldn't make that statement until after you're done. So you can look back at the picture, the, the, your career, look at it in reverse as a movie and say, man, I did great. You know, and, and that's the same thing with the Hall of Fame. That's how I, I would approach it. We're talking to former NFL running back Fred Taylor. So, Fred, let me ask you this. You know, Tony Vaselli, he was a finalist. So he's probably going to get in, you know, sooner than later. We got another guy on that team, Jimmy Smith. You know, Jimmy Smith, nine 1,000-yard receiving seasons, over 12,000 receiving yards. In your opinion, is that enough for Jimmy Smith? Should he be a Hall of Famer at some point? I think it's a no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, you said the numbers. Um, going back to it all, Jimmy was a guy who was great on the field. Uh, 
And, the, and the, obviously the question marks, and it, there's no secret, the question mark is the stuff that he had been going through off the field. And, uh, you know, addiction is tough. You know, addiction, a lot of people like to refer to it as a disease. And you're going to penalize, you know, his greatness. I mean, he didn't rob anybody. He, he wasn't one of those guys that, you know, um, one of those guys that were on ESPN, you know, the big highlight, this guy locked up, arrested. You know, he wasn't one of those guys that was a troublemaker. Unfortunately, you know, um, he had some the issues with, you know, the stuff off the field, uh, and people go through that. But now today, Jimmy's a better person. He's a better father. His son Trey's down in Louisville, you know, trying to get some run. He's a, a great father to his daughters, a, a great husband. He's in the trucking business. So he's gone to turn things around. And I pray someday he makes it to the Hall of Fame because the numbers speak for itself. I think there was a running stat when he was active that he had more receptions. Not I don't know if it was re- or touchdowns at the time. Not touchdowns, but receptions, I believe. Something like that than any other guys that were in the, currently in the Hall of Fame. Now, that was before Jerry Rice went in, you know, and Michael Irvin, because right. Jimmy was still uh, uh, active. And, and those guys were – uh, they hadn't reached their eligibility yet. So if we look at it, just looking at the numbers, I mean, he has more receptions than Steve Largent. Um, Shannon Sharp, he's a tight end, you know, kind right. of, you know, wide receiver slash tight end type guy. You know, James Lofton, more catches to him, more catches to Michael Irvin as well. You know, so, I mean, he has a case, and we'll see. I guess time will be the judge. I- I'll put it to you this way. I think – you and Baselli have a better shot than Jimmy Smith, but there is always the possibility that he'll get in. But I think you guys have a better shot. Yeah, I do appreciate that, but I do hope that, you know, we can have our own three amigos in there someday. That'd be <laughs> Collectively cool. together. Yeah. That'd be cool. So going back to those teams in the 90s, those Jaguar teams in the 90s, you talked about a Baselli, Jimmy Smith, yourself, Mark Brunel, Keenan McCardell. I mean, you guys had some talent on those rosters. And you had a great run from 96 to 99, two trips to the AFC Championship game, one in 96, one in 99. Ultimately, you fell short. But looking back on it all, which one of those teams gave you the best chance to win a Super Bowl, in your opinion? Well, I wasn't with the 96 group. Um, okay. I can't. I was drafting. I was in '98 draft, but I was on the '99 team. Team was just. They were all just blue collar, and they were, you know, it was Coach Coughlin saying, "Hey, charge!" And those guys, they just went at it, and they had, you know, had some good breaks through hard work that created their luck, and um, and, and and they ended up playing well. You know, the '99 team in which I was a part of '99, um, that was a great team. And I look back, and I'm like, man. And I'm sure Coach Coughlin and a lot of those players, my former teammates, they'll look and they'll say, wow, this is a team that probably should have went to that, made it to Atlanta and beat St. Louis. And we had great defense coached by Coach Dom Capers. Obviously, the offense was run by Coach Coughlin as well as everything else top down. Um, we were a few plays short. There was a Titans team, you know, and I, I denied it throughout my career. 
you know, I would never say they were better than us, but three times in 1999, they were better than us. And they, they did it when they needed to do it most. Um, but I think the 99 team had a better shot at making right. the Super Bowl and winning it than the 96 team or any team in Jaguars history to date. What was it about those Titans teams that particular year? Because like you said, they beat you three times and, and they, they owned you. What, what, what was it? They were loose. They were a loose group and we were uptight. You know, we were a, a group that, you know, we were afraid to make a mistake. And uh, they, they, they were a team that they just went out there and uh, through their head coach and Coach Fisher trickled down and you know, they played through and, and they did what it took to, to get there. We were, we were a tight group. And, and sometimes coaches, you know, you look at everything from a matchup standpoint and game plan. They had our number. You know, we, we went and beat them. We beat everybody else convincingly and decisively throughout that year. Uh, the Titans, they, you know, they found a way to get it done. They had our numbers. Um, they probably had our playbook. <laughs> who knew? Who would know? <laughs> but uh, they, they, they deserved it, man. They, they won those games. They deserved it. We're talking to former NFL running back Fred Taylor. So let me ask you this. You know, you know obviously you had some great moments throughout your career. But you had some tough moments as well. One of those tough moments was, you know, your money. You know, your agent, he yeah. stole from you. You know, stole $5 million from you. I mean, that's a lot of money. Um, looking back on that situation, I mean, how do you feel about it today? Uh, I think you're referring to Tank Black's situation. Correct. My former agent, Tank Black. Uh, you know, I, I when I originally met Tank, and sign with Tank, it was because it, it felt, you know, like family. It was Tank, um, a dad away from my dad for the most part. So I signed with him. I signed for a $5 million signing bonus, about just under $3 million after taxes. We ended up investing $2.5 million in this, what would end up being a Ponzi scheme in the Cayman Islands. Um, fortunately for me, that money was frozen by the government after they identified the theft or the fraud. And I was an early investor that reported the crime uh, that was, you know, on top of the line. So I was able to recoup uh, about 2.3 million of those monies. And, uh, but I learned a valuable lesson. And uh, because before you, you, you know, people would say, Hey, this investment is good. That create paperwork, you know, that, Look, those statements, they were false statements, they were fraudulent, and I thought everything was okay, but now I understand that if I'm going to invest, make sure the type of institution it is, make sure they have a, a huge ENO liability policy on hand, you know, just in case they do do anything wrong, that I'm, I'm covered if we do, in fact, have to go to court. Um, I just caution myself, and I'm able to speak that to my children. I'm able to share that with you know, former players, I'm not former players, but younger players, uh, as they prepare, you know, that they don't come from the same or they didn't come from uh, a, a, a family background of financial awareness and financial stability. Because this is new to a lot of people from my sort of background. You know, they're, they're right. just not used to it. They don't have the awareness. And, and for that, you know, these uh, false agents and, financial guys and just 
phony investors, they, they prey on these guys. You know, they, they pretend to be cool with them until they get the big payday. And then now the guys are blinded by, you know, a couple thousand dollars that was given to them prior to them hitting the home run. And then uh, they invest with these people, these people who are men, you know, and they, they, they allow them to be comforted. And, and then now the con has been engaged and, you know, you lose a couple million bucks. So I, I get to talk to these kids now and share my story and be as transparent, you know, yeah. as anything else because it happened to me. You know, I'm not some story you pull out of a book and you're sharing it. You know, I'm a guy that a lot of the guys look up to on one hand, and then I get to, you know, without being embarrassed, share my story. And and they respect that, and hopefully some of them will listen. And not just from being, you know, scammed by a, an agent, but from a standpoint of don't be – frivolous don't make those frivolous decisions don't be wasteful you know do things in moderation you know there's a car you want you don't need it you want it you know and just try hoping that they understand the difference and from that uh and i hope they listen i can talk to them blue in the face it's the guys that listen that are going to be successful in the long run sure for sure i mean let me answer this uh, i'm just interested how long did it take for you or, or have you even been gotten to this point where you've forgiven Tank Black for what he did for uh, for you, to you, I should say, stealing from you? I forgave Tank a long time ago. Okay. I'm not going to block up and lock up my blessings by, you know, uh, being hateful, you know, towards someone. Tank taught me a valuable lesson. And we spoke, you know, after he was released from prison. Tank and I, we spoke and and I told him, man to a man, hey, I forgive you. doesn't mean we're going to hang out, go and grab a beer or anything like that. No, right. that's not going to happen ever again, <laughs> I don't believe. Right. You know, but, you know, if, if there were an opportunity where we crossed paths, it, it would be a cordial hello, hi, you know, hope all is well with you and your family. No ill will. You know, I told Tank I appreciate the lesson learned because it made me better for it. You know, I, I, I worked hard for Earth. E-R, hard earth, <laughs> to be able to fight through my injuries uh, and earn more contracts. So I didn't even lose a lot of money. It was a lesson. It was a wake-up call because, again, right. I could have had my money in the, in the stock market that crashed while my money was frozen. And that was after 9-11 happened. You know, so a lot of teammates came and they took a big hit. They lost money in the stock market. So the, the couple hundred thousand that I did lose, I was able to write those against my capital gains after some you know pretty good years of earnings. And um, I was able to write those, deduct those losses against those earnings to offset everything. But again, nothing's more valuable than the lesson that I learned. And that's what Tank taught me. And like I told you, I, I thank him for it. Now I get to share it. You know, it's, it's an asset to me. For sure. So what's going on with Fred Taylor today? Today I'm um, <laughs> I'm sort of messing around in the preseason, but I really uh, try my best to do a good job for the Jaguars. They asked me to do color commentary for this preseason after Brunel uh, ended up with an, in, ended up with another gig. So uh, I'm doing a little bit of that just for the preseason color commentary, play uh, not play by play, but just uh, the color and. Um, Throughout the course of the season, I'm doing a radio show for the Jaguars, post-game radio, as well as uh, an in-stadium game day analysis where I just give my insights before the game, 
you know, throughout the game and, and, and post-game as well. Uh, and I'm also serving as ambassador with the Jaguars to the International Series game on behalf of the NFL over in London. Uh, investing, uh, I have a, a certified minority uh, distribution company and, and uh, supply company. that We deal in industrial equipment, namely a shutter valve, new technology, as well as uh, HVAC units, uh, working with Mitsubishi. So a lot of different things, but investing, teaching, consulting, uh, sharing, 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 loving on my family, and um, hopefully someday I'll be able to add HOF to that introduction. <laughs> soon, soon. Give it time, give it time. Yeah, appreciate it. So let me ask you this. You know, the new helmet rule, I mean, in terms of, you know, lowering your helmet and, and things of that nature, I mean, it's confusing to a lot of players. I'm confused when I see the rule being implemented. I know it's the preseason. In the preseason, they tend to overcall these things. But, I mean, man, it, it's kind of confusing. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's good because at the end of the day, you know, player safety is always a good thing. But the rule is very confusing. Are you confused by it? Um. From my understanding, it's if you lead with the crown of your helmet, that's the top part of your helmet. Not necessarily the face mask of your helmet engaging with a ball carrier or defender, for that matter, because they call it on the offense as well. So if they can clearly see the top of your hat at a parallel to the ground position, that's when they're supposed to make the call. But <laughs> what happens is, this is what happens. The speed of the game. And now that I'm away from the game, from the, game it, the speed of the game is still as fast as it's ever been. Imagine me being out there playing. I'm away from the game watching it, and it's so fast. And I have trained eyes for it. So imagine being in it. These right. refs. You know, there's a gray area because the game is so fast. How can you say the helmet went from 90 degrees to, you know, or, or from 45 degrees to 90 degrees and be able to call it in a split second? You know, bring your eye off something to something else. Um, it, it's, a tough, it's, it's tough on the rest. And I've, talking to, I've spoken with the rest, and they've all said, but the guys that I've spoken to, they say, yeah, it's going to be pretty great. It's going to be one of those 50-50 things. You know, some will be clear, but most of them will be 50-50. Um, and it takes away the natural movement of the game. Ball is all instinctive. Right. You know, it's a, it's a you know, I understand the safety, but it's a animal instinct. You know, it's, you know, it's me or you, survival of the fittest. But you want to be smart doing it. But it's a violent sport. You know, even in its watered-down days now, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it's definitely watered down. So, but I, I get it. You know, I do understand it. You know, it's entertainment, and, and they have to protect, you know, they have to protect the interests of the game as well as the players. Um, but, again, it's, it's still going to be one of those ticky-tacky things, and it's going to, it might get more people hurt. 
you know, from a technique standpoint, I mean, I, I get it because the cornerbacks are the first position group to duck their head. They will be the first position group to duck their head. Now you're telling the safeties, look, you can't hit a defenseless receiver. And you can't, uh, you can't duck your head. So now if this guy's upright, I don't know. I can go on days and days and days with this, Paul, because the rule changes from back in the day from you can't hit the guy off the ball to you can't roll into the quarterback's knees. So now you can't hit a defenseless receiver. That all spells scoring touchdowns. The fans want to see touchdowns. Back in the day, a blowout was 20 to 10. Now games are 40-something to to, to 20. You know, it's more scoring, more scoring, more scoring. And it's part of the business model. I think they've succeeded in the rule changes and and the bit new model and the safety of the players. All of that has changed uh, the game. And and that's just what it is. There's going to be some bad missed tackles. There's going to be a lot more missed tackles because of the rule changes. There's going to be a lot more touchdowns because of that. The, the thing with football, and, you know, you know better than I do, but you can only make the game so safe, like boxing. You can only make boxing so safe. You know, UFC, MMA, you can only make it so safe. And, you know, it's you keep changing the rules, you keep changing the rules. At some point, you're going to take away from the game. I don't necessarily think it's taken away from the game yet, all the rule changes. But I do think if they continue down this path, it will get there. You know what? What I think, Paul, is uh, the WWE has managed to survive for years. That's true. For decades. And this watered-down version reminds me a little bit of a strategic WWE. Okay. Know, competing is competing. The guys are still competing. Right. You know, that's what it boils down to, competing, being passionate about, you know, uh, your skill set and your craft and, and displaying it and entertaining the masses. For and sure. that's what the game is. Uh, they don't care about, you know, if you just put guys out there and let them run around, you take the names off the back and put guys out there, they're going to eventually develop a fan base. Because right. of entertainment. So, sure. the league, you know, the bottom line is what it is. They're, they're going to protect the bottom line. They're going to try to protect the, the product, which is the players. They're going to protect the business overall. And the fans are still going to, you know, go unless the president keeps tweeting. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's going to be a mixture of a whole lot of things and possibilities. But I think football will weather the storm. I mean, it's a great sport. For sure, for sure. Before we get out of here, end of the day, Jaguars, will they be the Super Bowl champions this year? What, Paul? You think I'm going to say no? (laughs) (laughs) You're right. But I think they will be. And it will be almost 20 years since the Super Bowl in Atlanta, the one we missed out on. Think about that. Yeah. And it's back in Atlanta. So we'll see. Maybe it's destined. Okay. We'll see. So fans, make sure you hit this man up on Twitter at Fred Taylor Made and support all the great things going on with the great Fred Taylor. Fred, 
Absolute pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Would love to do it again. Paul, thank you, boss, man. Take care of yourself. I appreciate you, boss. Thanks for having me on. No problem.